The Old Testament reading is a picture of heaven from Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse, sparkling like ice and awesome. Under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the expanse over their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Ezekiel's call. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is recorded in Revelation chapter 7, beginning verse 9, and gives us the clearest picture in all of Scripture about the reality of God's saints in heaven. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Here ends the epistle. The Holy Gospel on this All Saints Sunday, 2016, is recorded in Matthew chapter 22, beginning the 23rd verse. That same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. 
And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Here they come. We're going to have a beginning and an end and a new beginning again. Can anybody tell me what two parts every human being is made up of. You're two things at the same time. One you can see, one you can't see. Anybody know? Yeah. No. <clears throat> Anybody want to take a guess? Body and what's the other part? Ice? Oh, I. Oh, well, body and soul. Yeah, somebody said that. So, this is the whole thing. Hi. This stands for the body. But the body without the soul isn't worth much. So, when God decided to make each one of us to create us, he put soul within us. This is what makes us people, body and soul. However, the moment we came to be, that pure soul had something happen to it. King David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So I want to show you what's inside and what's happened to the soul. I hope I don't spill. <laughs> He's right, it's real coffee. But I want it to make it look like it's kind of like dirt. The soul becomes full of sin from the moment we are conceived. Now, thankfully, on this cup, what do you find in the middle? A cross. When your parents brought you to your baptism and you received God's gift of forgiveness, He begins to deal with this sin of ours. God is gracious and forgiving. Now, today we're going to be remembering some people at church who passed away this past year. 
In Proverbs, it says, and the soul returns to God who made it. At death, the, the soul is taken away and there's just the body. In the one reading, did you listen about how it is in heaven, though? Yeah, the soul's in the bowl. How about that? But in heaven, all the saints, those who are holy by faith in Christ, are very happy. There's no more sorrow, no sadness. They're with all the saints and angels, and they're very happy. But they're looking forward to something, even though they're in heaven. There's something more that's going to happen. On the last day, when Jesus comes again, something's going to happen. And if you know what that is, no. Honesty. This is the same cup as the other one, except it's white. In the resurrection on the last day, the body will no longer be sinful, but perfect. And your soul will be returned to you. Yes, it is. It's water. But it's pure water, not coffee water. In the resurrection... This is what everybody's looking forward to. Even the saints in heaven cry out to God at one point, how long? They can't wait until Jesus comes again on the last day because the saints in heaven are looking forward to resurrection, body and soul together forever. That's why we're happy about the saints who have passed on. They're already at stage one and they're waiting for the last day. Okay, you can go back again. And I'll bet he's told by his parents, don't you drink that coffee water. <laughs> Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. The gospel reading for this Sunday from Matthew chapter 22, first of all deals with a problem that is growing in this culture, in this country that we live in. The American people have come to the notion that death is a part of life. No, it's not. Death comes because of sin. They also seem to think that death is a sweet release, that anybody who dies is just set free from all their problems, all their worries and cares. Well, that's half right. For Christians, it is a complete release from all the troubles and sorrows and difficulties of this life and sin. They are truly set free. But for those who have paid no attention to Christ, who have no notion of God's mercy and grace, or who even think that they can somehow enter into heaven by their own doing, by their own goodness or merits, death is no sweet release but it is just the beginning of God's judgment, his fervent anger. Because to push Christ Jesus aside in all of his love is the very worst thing of all. And the arrogance of thinking that there is no life or that life itself will be wonderful because of what they have done is a deep and foul affront to the Son of God who came to suffer, die, and rise for them. In our text, we have the Sadducees. 
Now, Beth told me that, Beth McKay, that is, that when she was a little girl, she was taught in Sunday school about the Sadducees. They are sad, you see. Sadducees indeed are sad, even though they ran the whole temple. You would think they'd be the most holy and godly people you could think of, but they were far from that. They had a reputation for being crooked. Some people didn't have anything to do with the temple in Jerusalem because they were all taking bribes. Everything was payoff, and yet they supposedly ran the entire religious community. They came to Jesus, and notice, they're the ones that said, there's no resurrection. When you're dead, you're dead. You're no different than a dog or a spider. When you take your last breath, it's all over. Now, what does that do to life now? If you really think there is no life beyond death, what's the point? If you want some homework on this item, read slowly and carefully the book of Ecclesiastes. Because if your life is only what's tied up with the now, with the current and the earthly, it is all emptiness, nothingness, a chasing after wind. There is no purpose, there is no meaning of life, and life becomes a kind of living death. That's what the sad you sees believed, that there was nothing beyond death. Now, they strongly believed it, and they were against any religious Jews who thought in some way there was something beyond death. Teachers like Jesus were scorned as being a bunch of bumpkins that don't know anything. Go to university campuses in this country, and you will find many people with the same attitude. Life is now. Good stuff has to be gained now. There must be justice now. There is no notion of God as judge or as a greater reality. Their whole world is tied up with now. They are at the same time the most angry young people that have ever been in this country in its history and also the most hopeless and empty. It's the saddest situation of all. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in this resurrection. And to prove their point, they take of all things a very odd, strange law in the Old Testament called Leverite marriage. It was important in the Old Testament, as each tribe and family was allotted land, that that land would stay in the family. But if a guy married and had no children, that was a terrible thing. It couldn't be passed on to the proper family. And so this Leverite marriage said that if a man married a woman and that man died, his brother had the obligation to come and to raise up children through the brother's wife. On that silly, strange truth, the Sadducees want to make the notion of resurrection simply absurd. So they say that there were seven brothers, and seven brothers each had a single wife. And now to make the whole thing absurd, they say to Jesus, finally the woman died, so at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? 
of those seven, for all of them were married to her. They try to make the whole notion of resurrection simply ridiculous and stupid. Watch out. Society would do that to Christianity now today. All your notions of heaven, your notions of eternal life and resurrection and new creation, they will say straight up to your face that silly superstitions. You ought to just buck up and be wise and live for the now. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Jesus, however, is not impressed with this seeming logic, logical smart deduction of theirs. He says you are in error. Even today, people don't worry about error. They think that's some accounting problem. If you're out one or two points, they don't think anything of it. But the original turn to be in error meant you're heading down not only the wrong path, but a deadly one. You are in error and you're heading toward God's judgment is really what he's saying. Why is it? Because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God. Who's the only person who died and rose again and came back to tell us exactly what's going on? Jesus himself. No other religious leader has ever died and come back and has told us anything about heaven, let alone eternal life and resurrection. Only from the scriptures do you know this reality. Otherwise, you too may be sucked into the worldly notions of nothingness, of meaninglessness, of death that supposedly is something wonderful. He says you know neither the scriptures which point to heaven and resurrection and life eternal and neither do they believe in the power of God to make it come true and come to pass if you only believe what you can understand if you only believe reality that you can see hear taste and smell you among most men are to be pitied Jesus said that the resurrection which he firmly believes in. People will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels in heaven. Now, some of you who are married, don't get upset. Marriage is a wonderful thing in this present realm. It's the closest picture between Jesus and his bride, the church. But marriage now, compared to new life in heaven and the new creation is like comparing an old beat up rusty Model T compared to a fancy Italian sports car. In heaven the relationship that you have with that person you called husband or wife now will be far beyond anything you could possibly know this side of heaven that you love each other, care for each other, understand each other now, it'll be far greater in this new creation. But the old outmoded notion of marriage will be gone. The only marriage that we find beyond death and heaven 
and the new creation is the marriage supper of the Lamb in His kingdom which has no end. The only real marriage will be God's people to Christ the bridegroom. And this supper, Christ's holy supper, is a kind of appetizer, a foretaste of that one great unending marriage feast. But you notice that you'll be like the angels. No sin, no weakness, no selfishness, no problems with each other, perfect communion with each other and with God, no more death, no more sorrow, no more tears. And as Revelation said that really God himself will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus is saying this is what we should be looking forward to. And as for death, Jesus said, have you not read about the resurrection, what God said? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Right now he's saying it. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all the saints that have gone before us are not dead. They are living before the face of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, as the epistle said. They are happy beyond anything we can even conceive of. But even they, according to Revelation, want to know how long. They are looking forward to the resurrection, that physical new creation in that new world that is perfect, sinless, and has no end. So when it's All Saints Sunday, as we think about the saints who have gone before us, we should not be crying tears of sorrow. It should be tears of joy for them. And we should remember them not as though they are better than we are. For they in their life were just as much sinners as we are now. But we follow their example of repentance and faith in Christ. For it is by these two things that we too have the sure expectation of heaven and eternal life. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.